Over the next four weeks, today and the three weeks after, we'll be talking about some amazing things in Scripture that we as believers and non-believers can make an exchange with God. We can exchange, the Bible says, if we give him our sorrow, he'll give us joy. Amen? If we give him our tears, he'll give us joy. If we give him our problems and lay our cares at his feet, he cares for us and he'll take care of us. So there are many different things that we can exchange with him. But the greatest of all exchanges is the title of today's message to kick off the series, and that is the exchange of my death for his life. My death for his life. So I want you to go in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We'll read this passage to start off today. I want to encourage you to think about it in terms not as a physical death, although we have hope uh, as believers in the matters of death and life here on earth. What I'm talking about today is your spiritual state of being dead versus being alive. Verse 1 of chapter 2 in Ephesians says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4 says, But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen? Verse 6 says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Verse 9 says, Not as a result of your works, so that anyone could boast, but verse 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared for us. God has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives to the church. And if you notice to the grammar, if you notice the grammar that was used throughout, he talks about this is what you were, this is who you used to be, and now this is who you are in Christ Jesus. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and you have been made alive. Now this is written to those who are already believers. If you're not a believer and you're here today, we welcome you and I'm glad you made it because today could be the day that your eternal destiny changes. The death that we speak of is a spiritual death. It happens and it has happened since the days of the garden 
when Adam sinned, the Bible tells us that sin entered into all of humanity. And that as a result of that, we have been cursed and we've been living under a curse until the moment that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Go back to verse 1, if you will. It says, you were once spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins. You were once. If you're a believer and have been a believer for any period of time, you've seen water baptism. You've heard messages preached about being dead to sin and alive to Christ, being raised to the newness of life in Christ. And this is an important thing that Paul is trying to encourage the church so that they understand their nature and their destination have now changed as a result of their accepting of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. Go to verse 4. It says this. Perhaps it's one of the most powerful phrases in all of Scripture. The first two words, but God. I'm going through trials and tribulations, but God is with me. You can walk through fire and not even smell like smoke because God is with you. You can walk through a diagnosis. You can walk through the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one. But God can be with you. Verse 4 says, But God, in rich in His mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even while you were dead, In your trespasses, he has made you alive, us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you've been saved. Look again at verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. What is my own doing are the trespasses I've committed and the sins that I've committed. It is not the grace of Jesus, the grace of God. That is a gift from him to me, and it is undeserved. Do you understand that? You can do nothing to earn it, but you just accept it and receive it. It's the gift of God, not a result of what you do or don't do. So that you don't have a reason to be puffed up with pride and say, look at me, I made it to heaven. So, this is a good reminder for us as believers that it's the grace of God that saves us. It's the grace of God that keeps us. And all we must do is exchange our spiritual death for his eternal Life, the gift of eternal life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of his, you once were spiritually dead. Now you say, Pastor, you're preaching to a room full of, mostly full of believers. We were spiritually dead. We understand that. That's awesome. Here's what I want to challenge us as a church to be thinking about in this Christmas season is the opportunity that we have once a year that automatically shows up on the calendar for you to be able to share the hope of Christmas with those you know and those you love. Because the world is dying and going to hell. 
They are headed to a destination of eternal punishment without God. There is no hope for anyone outside of the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. That's why we love Christmas so much because we celebrate the origin story. If you're a Marvel fan or a fan of comic books, then you get this point. The origin story is important. It's not just about, okay, there was someone who died on a cross. It's about how he got here. The fact that hundreds of years earlier, there were dozens of prophecies spoken of those prophets of old that said, this is where he would be born. This is how he will be born. This is when his birth will be announced. These things will line up. And then they did. Our God is a God who keeps his word. Amen? So we as believers have exchanged our spiritual death for eternal life. But if you are not a believer and you're hearing this message today and you're not walking with God, you can go from death to life in a single moment. You say, well, pastor, that makes it sound so easy. That step is easy. Your life as a believer has its challenges, And I use this old phrasing because this is me, my little old school self. It's not like the old preachers on TV used to say, when you come to Jesus, he'll fix all your problems and everybody gets a Cadillac. Nobody cares about Cadillacs these days unless it's an Escalade. I'll take that as a gift. Paid for a 2023, it'll be beautiful. I'll drive that thing. I don't care if it's pink, I'll drive it, okay? Let me just say... (laughs) Let me just say this, though. They used to preach messages like that that were of a prosperity nature, like come to Jesus and he'll pay your bills. I don't preach a poverty message either, but I sure don't preach that Jesus is going to fix everything in an instant in your life. You still have to work through a lot of things. We're all human, And we still have stuff to work through. We still have bags that we carry that we must leave at the cross. We still are tempted to go back and get our bags that we left at the cross and carry them with us. We have a journey. That's why we call it a walk with God. If you are not a believer, you have an opportunity today to make that choice to surrender your life to the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, who was Gracious and kind enough to send his only begotten son to us so that he could live a sinless life, die a gruesome death, and be resurrected to new life in order to pave the way for you and I to be with him for eternity. This was always God's plan. It was for us as his people to be with him for eternity. And there was nothing we could do. There were no amount of laws we could follow and obey. No amount of animals we could sacrifice in order to earn God's favor. What we needed was a perfect sacrifice to stand in our place. And God sent him and his name is Jesus. Amen. The choice is up to us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 and 21 says this. Paul, in talking to the Galatians, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21 says, I do not nullify 
the grace of God, for it is, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is extremely important for us to understand, not only as believers who have received him, but as believers who should help others come to know him. It is the reality that we could not have obeyed every law that was ever given and earned the right to be in eternity with him. It was only the grace of God and Christ's death that provided this to us. I want you to do me a small favor in this moment. Will you take your hand and just put it over your heart? We're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I want you to just feel the heartbeat that's in your chest. It may be fast. It may be skipping beats. <laughs> it may be pretty slow these days. We all are one heartbeat. Away from eternity. You can take your hands off your, off your heart. We're all just a single heartbeat away from eternity. We shared Thanksgiving this past week with Amy's family. Her awesome family. And I'm so thankful that I cannot tell any jokes about mother-in-laws. Because my mother-in-law is awesome. She's a great cook. She's a caring mother. She's a wonderful woman. She's a godly woman. She comes from a line of godly women. And we actually had the opportunity to talk and spend more time with Amy's grandmother. They call her Morna. You may call yours Mimi or Mima or Ma, whatever it is, but they call her Morna. While we were sitting there, and she's very aged at this point in her 90s, and we were sitting there talking she said something about eternity that really was unnerving. She said this about somebody else, but she said it was true of herself, that somebody had said, I just want to go home. She's at the place in her life where she's missed her husband for many years who died before her, where she's got family and relatives. Her body is aching and aged, but she's still sharp as a tack. She's, she's an amazing woman to be in her mid-90s at this point. But she just wants to go home because the hope of being with God in eternity is greater now than the pressure of living in this world and attaining anything else. It's amazing to have a hope like that inside of you that will power you through even the darkest moments and the darkest storms. The Bible says that when those who are believers die and those who are believers are remembering their death, we don't grieve the way that others do because we have a hope inside of us that we will again one day be with them in heaven. It's just a moment away. We may not all live till our mid-90s. So we must live today serving God, believing in Jesus Christ, sharing our testimony and our faith with others. Many people say and have said before, but I'm a good person, Pastor. I've done some really good things in my life. Isn't that enough to get into heaven? Isn't being good enough? The Bible tells us that it is not enough. In fact, there are many good people in hell 
today at this very moment, who probably gave to good charities, who carried groceries for older widows from their car to the door, who walked dogs, who did kind deeds for family members and friends that did these things, but they did not have faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only way to heaven. So being good is not enough. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that none are righteous, no, not one. Not a single one of us are righteous. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means none of us match up or meet his standard and his requirement. And you say, well, that sounds like really sad news. It's not. It's the best news ever. Because he, by his grace, provided the one who could meet all the requirements. Amen? Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread to all people because all sinned. The truth is we are all sinners by choice. And sin of any kind is an offense toward God, the creator of the universe. So when we commit sin, it's not just, hey, I committed this sin, let me apologize. We have to understand the weight of our sin is not just that you told a white lie or you cheated on your taxes. That's a bigger deal in our schedule or our system of, you know, what's bad and what's worse. But here's the deal. If you've lived a day in a human life here on this earth, you as an individual need saving. You need saving because sin entered the world through Adam and through Christ, we can be redeemed. Amen? Amen? Some people say this. They say, is sin really that big of a deal? I mean, so what? I've done some bad stuff. I've never murdered anybody. Yes. In fact, sin is a big deal. The Bible tells us in Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That means your paycheck for sinning, what you get for sinning is eternity apart from God. But the free gift of God for all who will receive it is eternal life. That means everybody who's ever gone to jail for an offense against civil laws, criminal laws against anyone, all of them can be saved, and even you. That's amazing when you think about what Christmas really means. That the free gift of God provided to us through Christ Jesus is eternal life. And all we've got to do is accept it. So sin is a big deal. A lot of people say something else. They say, well, after what I've done to grieve God or offend God, how could he willingly die in my place? Why would he choose to do that? If I'm a sinner and you say, Pastor, you're making it sound like we're all really bad off without him. You are. <laughs> we all are. How could Jesus die willingly or willfully in my place? 
The reason is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, but God shows his love for us in that while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. That you were still sinning, Christ died. Jesus Christ, when he hung on the cross, when he was taken to the tomb, when he rose from the grave on the third day, he didn't do that to just stop the damage that had happened for the thousands of years of creation before him. He did it for all eternity, future and past. So that means I was saved in God's grace The day that Jesus hung on the cross, me 2,000 years later when I accepted him because Jesus' blood purchased and paid the penalty for me. He's paid the penalty for millions and billions of humans that have lived on this planet before him and after him. His love is what motivated him. God's love is what motivated him to send Jesus Christ. And if you remember, and I know it's not Easter, but I'm talking a little bit about death today. If you remember, Jesus is found praying in the garden. He's praying in the garden the night that he is taken by soldiers. And what are the words that he prays to his father? If there be any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The humanity of Jesus on full display. If there's any other way to do this, please, please, you can do this any other way. But he chose willingly. It says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because he thought he was just going to get to the finish line and get a gold star or a medal or a trophy when he got to heaven. No, you are the joy that was set before him. I believe in the awesomeness of God's vision and his ability to be able to see past, present, and future. I believe every believer who would ever come to him, that face was flashed in front of Jesus' mind that he saw you on the day that he died. That is powerful when you think about the fact that he knows you. We say some of this stuff as Christians flippantly. He knows all the hair on your head and he knows the trouble I've faced and he, listen to me, he actually knows the hair on your head. He knows the trouble that you are facing or will face. He's seen your past And he loves you anyway. He knows what you're dealing with in the present. And he's here to help you through it. And by God's grace, he will be with you in the end. That is the hope of the gospel. He he loves us. I love each and every one of you in this room. But I love some of you more than others. You say, Pastor, what? How could you say that from the pulpit? Because my wife is sitting in this room. And my children are sitting in this room. No, no. We're not going there, Mike. Listen to me. The point of it is this. If there were a wild case scenario and I had to sacrifice my life for anyone in this room, it would be these three beautiful ladies all in red. I'm in red too. We match today. 
they belong to me. It would be them first and then you second. It'd be them first and then my mom and dad second and then her mom and dad's third. And then like, you get what I'm saying? Like you're in the list, okay? I love you, but here's the thing. I wouldn't give my life for you willingly like Jesus did. And surely not for someone who mistreated me, cursed my name, said I didn't exist, acted in awful, demeaning, horrible ways. I would never, but God did. And he did for you. That's amazing. The hope of the gospel or the good news is Jesus Christ. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. In fact, our only hope is Jesus Christ. Look at what Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 say. It says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 says this, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now there's all kinds of interesting questions that come along with this about people of varying disabilities or having not the ability to speak or whatever. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Without answering any of those things or trying to dive into mysteries, I'm telling you the grace of God sees through all of that. Even if your mouth doesn't work, if your heart does, which we're talking about the spiritual heart, not your heart that's pumping blood in your chest, but the soul of who you are, believes in Jesus Christ, then it says you are justified. Amen? You are saved. And with the mouth one confesses. Confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead means that you're saved. It really is that simple. It's not your good deeds. It's not how much money you gave to charity or who you helped in this life or what you did to pave the way for a future generation's education or any of the good things that you can do. Nothing matters but this one thing is that you've given your heart and your life to the one who gave his for you. Some people wonder if God hears the prayers of sinners. And I truly believe that he does. You say, well, pastor, what, how, God doesn't have any responsibility to do that. Yes, he does. He has a responsibility to hear the prayer of sinners because without hearing the prayer of sinners, there would never, never be anyone who got saved because you were a sinner when you prayed Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. I'm a sinner. I need your help. Save me. So God absolutely hears the prayers of sinners. In fact, Romans 10 verse 13 guarantees that because it says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. I don't think you appreciate sometimes, because I sure don't appreciate, the awesomeness of what this really means how revolutionary it was for paul to write a letter to the group of people who were gathering together in the city of rome and to write this to them and to say you don't have to have jewish blood everyone who calls on the name of the lord can be saved 
That was revolutionary then and it's revolutionary now. You can be a Satanist and call on the name of the Lord and get saved today. We have people like that that we know. Yes, that God set free. This should put some hope in your heart for that kid or grandkid or brother that you're praying for. That God can reach the darkest depth of sin and despair and pull anyone out who calls on his name. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In order to exchange your spiritual death for spiritual life, you've got to do three things. You've got to admit that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior. That's the first thing to do is admit that you're a sinner. Here's what stops people from getting saved. Can I just tell you? Guilt and pride. It's one of, it's one of the two. Pride because I don't need God. I don't believe. I, I can get through this life without him. Everybody's got troubles and my, mine are no different. And blah, blah, blah. It's pride puffed up that says, I don't need God. I don't need to believe in him. And the other might be guilt because of the sins that you've committed. I've shared the story before, and I'll make it brief. I'll just tell you this. I was able to lead my grandfather to the Lord days before he died on his deathbed. My dad, and it was not my dad's dad, it was my mom's dad. And uh, my dad and myself and my brother, we went to visit him in the hospital. And I was able to, as a teenager, lead him in the prayer of faith and salvation. And I know that one day, the man who abused my grandmother and held her down and beat her, poured salt into her eyes. He chased her around the house. He tried to run her over with a car. That man is in heaven today because of the grace of Jesus and he's there with her and I'll be able to see him but he had to admit that he was a sinner the guilt was way too much all he could do in those last few days every time the name of God got mentioned was talk about God would never forgive a man like me the things I've done to my wife and to my children the abusive things, all the, those things, God would never wipe those things away until a moment of vulnerability came where he was able to let down his guard and let down his pride and say, you know what? I am a sinner and there's no hope for me outside of him. So you've got to admit that you're a sinner. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to believe in Jesus Christ. Allah won't get you there. Buddha can't get you there. They're not alive. Mommy will tell you later. They're not alive. We serve these. Somebody said, who's Buddha? <laughs> They're not alive. We serve the only living God. The only living God. He's a God who's not deaf. He's not blind. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your goodwill. He doesn't need your prayers to make sure that everything goes in a certain direction. He's not a genie in a lamp. He's the God of all creation who sent his son for you. And all he asks in return is that you believe he did it. That's amazing. This is so good for us to be reminded of during this Christmas season. 
that at Christmas I may buy my wife a gift of top dollar value. She may get me socks and underwear in return. It doesn't matter because I'm not valuing that gift. I'm seeing her love demonstrated towards me. Are you understanding? When we exchange gifts, we're demonstrating our love towards one another. God demonstrated his love towards you by giving you the gift of Christ and wants you to believe in him. And the third thing is confess Jesus as Lord. We talk a lot in the Christian church, especially here in America, about Jesus being the Savior. He's the Savior of the world. He can save you from your sin. He can save you from hell. He can save you. He can save you. He can save you. I believe He can save you. Amen? But you've got to confess Him as Lord. What does that mean? What that really means is confessing with your mouth and making sure that you live and walk in such a path that you actually allow him to be your master. So, well, pastor, that's offensive. I mean, you know, today's climate and the culture and all the things. No, listen to me. If he's not your master, there's only one other choice. And you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and the devil. You can't serve God and your job, your career. You can't serve those things. I love that Bob Dylan song. You got to serve somebody. And you're going to serve somebody in this life. I don't like any of his other music. It's just that one song, okay? Because he was a weirdo. That's my opinion, okay? You got to serve somebody. Confess Jesus as Lord. Not just... Ask him to save you from hell. It's not about just getting fire insurance. That's why your pastor tells you, because of the environment we live in, which is the southeastern United States, that it does not matter that you walked an aisle when you were nine years old, talked to a preacher, and prayed a prayer. That is not what it's all about. Because if that was when you were nine and you're 39 and you've lived 30 years away from God, then you have not confessed him as your Lord. You must accept him as your savior and you must treat him as the Lord and the master of your life. That means that you're guided by his will. That means you do what he asks when he asks That means you live in obedience to him, a higher authority than yourself. Amen? Many of us have done these things, but I remind you of these steps to be taken so that you can share it with others. Christmas is a great opportunity to do just that, to share with others. Not to be the psycho on the street shouting and and thumping a Bible. Not to be the person with a sign up that says everyone's going to hell. Not to be those people. But to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To be present during a Christmas celebration or a party. Or a time with family and friends. And being the bold one that says, can we stop and read the Christmas story? Not the one about some jolly fat man miraculously coming down everybody's chimney to deliver gifts. But can we read the real Christmas story about why we actually celebrate Christmas? It's Jesus. 
and talk about Matthew and his account of what happened. Talk about the prophecies of old. Have a moment where you express your faith to those who are in your circle. Christmas is all about Christ. I hope Santa brings you some amazing gifts this year. But you have to remember, I say that because we've got lots of kids in the audience. But you have to remember that it is not about the gifts that you receive. It's not about jolly old St. Nicholas. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about snowmen. It's not about trees and presents. It's about the single greatest gift that has ever been given And it still works today. In fact, old school preachers would say, and the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. It's never lost its power. All these many years later, and you can still accept the sacrifice that he gave. Matthew chapter 1 says this. Regarding the birth of Jesus in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to to Joseph, before they got together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, he wasn't going to make a big deal out of this. He just said, I'm going to take care of this quietly. Verse 20 says this, But as he considered These things, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I want to give you three quick things that will help you. It's a systematic way to help you share your faith. The first is this. Share your testimony succinctly. Now, that's a big word. What it means is be efficient with your words. Don't get super wordy. Get your testimony narrowed down. I don't need your whole life story. I just need to know why you needed God and how you came to faith to be able to hear your testimony and to be able to understand it's your indisputable argument because it's what really happened to you. You know that it really took place. You know that you were stuck in a pattern of sin or a certain behavior. You know that you were broken and damaged and you needed healing and you came to God in that moment. You know that you can share your testimony in three or four or five sentences and it can have powerful meaning to somebody who's never heard your testimony. So learn to share it succinctly. Practice it. I tell the next-gen team who are building a ministry for our preteen and teenagers in this church, talking about how they're leading their, um, their time with those kids, those preteens and teens, how they're doing it, that they need to get to the place where they practice the lesson before they get here so that they run through all the details and they know what they're going to say. It's the same thing anybody does who speaks. 
So when given the opportunity, I don't want you to do like some of the football teams did this past week and fumble the ball. I want you to be able to share your testimony succinctly, and I believe God wants you to. The second thing is this, share the problem and the solution. The problem is all have sinned and nobody meets God's requirement. The solution is Jesus is the answer. He's the one who perfectly matches and fits all the requirements necessary to be able to suffice or to pay the penalty for my sin. Now, this is jarring to some people who think pretty highly of themselves because they don't want to think of themselves as a sinner. I don't think there's a single unbeliever, there's a single drug addict, there's a single bad person in the world who wakes up and the first thing they do is look in the mirror and go, I'm a sinner. They don't have a knowledge of that. It's hard for them to recognize it because they're stuck and trapped in their sin. So pray for opportunities where you can share your testimony and share the problem of sin and how it's affected everyone and the solution as well. And then the third thing is this. Share the promise of peace with God. That eternal life is possible. They don't have to have eternal death. They can have eternal life with God. That the the unsettled feeling in their heart that scripture tells us that all of us were created essentially with a God-shaped hole inside of us. That even when we look at nature, there's got to be some sort of deeper longing inside of us to know that there's something out there that's higher than us that created this world. And if he did, I can have peace with him. So share the promise of peace that those who come to faith in Christ Jesus can be saved and have peace with God. And they don't have to do anything but believe in Him and then walk after Him. The hope of the world is Jesus. Amen? And we celebrate Him at Christmas time. I want you to stand with me today. It would do no good to have shared this message about how to share your faith without giving an opportunity for you today to make that switch from eternal death to eternal life, from heading down the road you're heading to heading down the road God wants you to head, which is to be with him in eternity. So close your eyes with me. And I wanna ask you, if you're here today, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, I don't care about your past and neither does God. What he cares about is your future. If you're here today and you say, pastor, I'm in need of this gracious free gift of salvation, Raise your hand right where you are, right now. If there's anybody here that says, I need this in my life, thank you. You can put your hands down. There are some young ones who have lifted their hand. If there's anyone else who's lifted their hand, who wants to lift their hand, do so right now. Just say, Pastor, that's me. I need prayer. I'm not going to call you up to the platform. not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you share your testimony today. Anything like that. Nothing crazy. I just want to give you the opportunity to make peace with God before it's too late. All of us who are believers in this room, none of us should have a problem with this. Let's all pray this prayer together in unity with those who did lift their hands. Everyone, you can repeat after me something simple like this. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. 
I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you're my Savior. And I want you to be my Lord. Today I surrender. And I ask you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Something as simple as that, when meant from the heart, is the thing that's needed to take you from death to life. It's amazing. If you prayed that prayer today with meaning in your heart for the first time or first time in a long time, maybe you did because you said, Pastor, you know, I haven't, I am that nine-year-old that walked an aisle and now I'm 39. I'm just giving an example. I don't know what your ages are, so please forgive me if I nailed that. But if you prayed that prayer today with meaning for the first time in many years, God has received you back as his son or his daughter. That's amazing when you think about the grace of Jesus and that he gives us chance after chance after chance. And if you've been in this church before, you know we pray this prayer. I want you to pray it today from your heart. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? It's possible that he's convicted you of sin, the sin of not sharing your faith. It's possible you remembered maybe somebody that you've been praying for, that you failed to pray for as much recently. It's possible the Holy Spirit has spoken something completely off script to your heart today. I want you to surrender to him. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every heart that's here today. Lord, we confess our failure to share our faith and our testimony at times. We confess our failure of not opening or walking through the opening doors that you've laid out for us. God, we commit today this Christmas season to step boldly through whatever door of conversation you have for us. God, would you give each of the believers in this room an opportunity to share their story and their faith with someone this Christmas season so that they can help someone exchange their death for your life. Father, I thank you for Celebrate Church. I thank you that you've built this family and this body of believers. I pray today that you would help us to leave with a commitment in our heart to share the hope of the world with others this holiday season. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship the Lord in this last song together as we commit our time to him.